You're listening to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today's show is part of the monthly series, Waste Not, in which we discuss food waste and ways the agri-food system and households can contribute to global change. We'll be discussing the circular economy in the Canadian egg industry with Margaret Hudson, President and CEO of Burnbrae Farms. Welcome, Margaret. Thanks for having me. Margaret, we're really happy to have you here. We often hear cities talk about the circular economy and the recycling initiatives, but it's really important in agriculture too. So what is the circular economy in agriculture? What, what does that term mean? I guess that ultimately in farming, uh, we can look at the farm itself as a system or, or a loop. Uh, what goes in, you know, energy, feed, water, packaging in the case of eggs, uh, but also, you know, nutrient seeds, you know, for more cash crops. What is used or converted and how efficiently that happens? And then, you know, what are the byproducts of production and how are they managed? Um, what can be reused and, and possibly how do we reduce waste or emissions for increased uh, effectiveness? Essentially, it means farms use their own resources as much as possible, such as the land, air, water, even the sun, and work to minimize or reuse the byproducts of the farming process in order to reduce environmental and other impacts. Okay, really, really, really important part of the sustainability dialogue. So let's start at the beginning then, Margaret, with production. Can you tell us a bit about the ways in which egg farms reduced waste and in, in use their own resources in the production side? So like in, in the hen farming side, um, you think of uh, some of the approaches for modern hen housing. You know, they've been designed to maximize egg production, and ultimately that minimizes the environmental footprint and also minimizes waste. Um, if you house hens, for example, at the right density, you don't actually heat the chicken barn. Um, even when it's minus 20, we vent our chicken barns. And that's because when you feed the chickens, they generate the body heat that heats the barn. If you start to get into some lower densities or you know some of the backyard flocks where the birds are outside, you actually have to heat those barns in the winter. Um, so modern you know, approaches help to minimize resources like uh, heat and fuel. The way we deliver feed to the chickens in, in a modern house, it's with minimum waste. They come through troughs that move in front of the bird and, and they're able to uh, pick up the feed from the feeders. We work with the nutrients in the diet to uh, maximize feed conversion so that the egg is, is very efficient. It's like two pounds of feed for a pound of eggs if you feed the bird properly or, you know, manage lighting or, you know, ventilation. Um, the laying hen is a really efficient way to get uh, perfect protein uh, from the resources that go in and, and the carbon footprint that is used. We also work to manage water efficiently. We use like drip waterers to, to minimize the amount of water that, that gets wasted. And eggs are, are collected to minimize waste. In, in some of the more modern housing, you see that the, the belt runs behind the nesting area. And that is where the chicken prefers to lay their eggs in the environment where the smaller, the more cage environment, the, the, you know, the egg rolls out automatically. Uh, we work very hard in, in um, our more open housing, like a free run housing where the eggs can be laid on the floor outside of the nesting area to actually train the chickens to move up onto the system at night so that when they wake up in the morning, they lay their egg, they'll go into the nesting area and the egg will actually come out on the belt. If you think about uh, resources 
you don't want to put all the resources into having the egg laid and then it gets laid on the floor and, and goes to waste or gets dirty. And last um, is capturing of the manure. And in some of the more modern housing systems, the manure falls through the floor under the chicken onto a belt and is, is, is collected. And we dry the litter, so the manure, so that it, uh, it can be spread and, uh, more efficiently. Um, in, in some of the more open systems where there's actually a litter floor, it's harder to, to manage the, the manure. But still, you know, we, we, we take it out more manually, but we do get it out and it is used as fertilizer and we do store it in the off season when uh, it can't be spread. Wow. So, so much design and thought behind the housing for the hens and really their lifestyle and their preferences, but how to keep the life cycle extended on things like you mentioned manures. So let's talk a little bit more about manure. Land use is a really important factor in the agricultural circular economies. And can you please expand on this a little bit, please, Margaret? So like I said, we, we collect it, uh, we store it, we dry it, we, we spread it when it's needed most to grow crops. And when you think of hen manure, it's full of nitrogen, but it also has calcium. It's about 7% calcium. And, and you think of the acidity that can be present in the rain, and that causes leaching. But if you've got a calcium source, it actually prevents leaching of some of the nutrients so that they are available to be taken up by the, the plants that they're, that they're fertilizing. Um, other aspects of, of land management is just including space for wildlife. We've always maintained wildlife corridors. You wander around our property and you see fields and there's always um, woods at the edges of the fields. These wildlife corridors are important for, you know, uh, native wild animals roaming the property, whether it's coyotes or wolves or deer. Um, we also try to cultivate native species where possible. And in the last decade or so, we've planted over 20,000 trees on fallow fields on our property. Um, ultimately, you know, farmers are the ultimate stewards of the land. And when you consider how much of the planet is committed to agriculture, which will continue to grow as we need to feed more people. And like most farmers, we do own a lot of cropland. We've leased it out for a long time, and we are looking to move more towards working our own land again. And as we do so, we are actually investigating more harmonious ways to uh, manage our land so that it's more harmonious with nature. Uh, looking at things like regenerative agriculture, looking at cover crops, uh, looking at uh, promoting biodiversity, providing more uh, wildlife habitat. Um, broadening wildlife corridors, sustaining or restoring wetlands. We work within uh, Quebec, an organization called ALIS, Alternative Land Use Services, and they help farmers with approaches to land use. Uh, we also support Swim Drink Fish. They're focused on uh, water management and education. And I don't know, a very fun thing recently was Theatre Tugboat, which is now uh, part of the Swim Drink Fish community. And it went down the St. Lawrence uh, and has found its new home in Hamilton Harbor. Uh, but we've been supporting them now, and they're on our packaging. And also Nature Canada, uh, looking at species at risk on our farm and, and thinking about the bees and the barn swallows and the bats and how do we create habitat to enable these species on our to thrive on our farm. Well, there's just so much. It's almost like a mini ecosystem. Every single farm and each farmer would know their land best, whether, you know, farther north in Ontario, there's bears or you mentioned coyotes that never used to be in the area where I live. And now they they're they're everywhere. So 
really trying to have the land respond and use all of the things available to you, whether that's the manure or planting of the trees or really just helping really help that biodiversity thrive. So really, so many farmers are so connected into many, many uh, other organizations. And I think that that's really important. And there's a lot of environmental action happening at Burnbury Farms. And in addition, you've recently built a solar egg farm, and this is more to use the sun in a certain way. Can you tell us more about that? So we're very excited about our solar projects. Um, the carbon footprint of eggs is already low, but we actually chose to take it lower by adding uh, large solar panels to the roof of our barns at our Woodstock farm that, that we recently completed. And uh, this is a free-range farm. And we were so successful with this project that we actually added a solar field to our farm in Lynn. The facility in Woodstock uses high-efficiency motors and lighting and ventilation systems to ensure that the farm is using as little power as possible to run the equipment so you don't need to generate as much. And uh, it actually generates more energy on an annual basis than it uses. Um, and it exports power to the adjoining farm. And in fact, not only is this one farm 100% powered by these solar panels, but we actually took down the requirement on the adjoining farm by 15% on an annual basis. Uh, we also have uh, battery storage on the farm because if you think about it, the sun is shining during the day. So we accumulate energy for use overnight or if there is extended cloud cloudy periods. We also have uh, a backup generator on the farm for the protection of the hens because they can't actually be without power. You always have to be venting the barn, providing feed. Um, and if you don't, you know, the, the birds will be at risk. So the backup generator is required. So an incredible investment on behalf of Burnbury Farms into the future. It takes a, a lot of egg sales to pay for a, a solar barn. So real commitment to sustainability, the environment, the circular economy, extending the shelf life and innovation. And I'm just so impressed with the commitment and ingenuity that Burnbury Farms is dedicated to environmental sustainability. And I think you're a wonderful example, a uh, larger scale across Canada, yet watching the tiny deep as small as the biodiversity on the individual farm. So I I think big things can also be great and you provide a wonderful example of that and after the break we'll address the circular economy in the egg processing side as well as distribution and also talk a little bit more about listeners own homes margaret hudson president and cdo of burnbray farms will share her insight and expertise welcome back to food for the future on 980 cfpl and 980 cfpl.ca here's your host peggy o'neill I'm Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist and host of Food for the Future. We're speaking with Margaret Hudson, President and CEO of Burnbury Farms, about the circular economy in the Canadian egg industry. Margaret, before the break, we talked about land, water, and solar use on your egg farms, and circular economies carry through the entire process from farm to getting a delicious egg to a family. And I'd like to address the egg processing. How does the egg industry in general, and Burnbury Farms in particular, ensure that eggs aren't wasted along the way? You know, it's interesting. The egg industry is governed by supply management in Canada. And at the end of the day, the production is planned. So you have enough eggs for your requirement, so none are wasted. Um, there's not a lot of excess from egg production in Canada. There are two markets uh, for eggs. There's the table market, which are the dozen of eggs that the consumer would in the grocery store. But then there's also the egg products market where eggs get broken. Some of them show up as like egg whites in the grocery store and some might 
the used industrial baker who then sells muffins or mayonnaise or other products. So eggs that don't go to the table market or the grocery store will go to our breaking plants to be used in liquid eggs. And if you think about it, the chicken lays more than just large, like the grocery stores tend to focus on selling large eggs, but there's also peewees and smalls and mediums and jumbos and the surpluses not sold in the grocery stores or the restaurants are broken into further processed products. We've adapted our supply chain to external pressures in order to minimize waste. If you think through COVID during the pandemic, people saw a lot more medium eggs and trays. And the reason why is because out in the food service market, they actually sell a lot of medium loose eggs. They're used in restaurants and also in our breaking plants. And they weren't needed there because people weren't eating in restaurants, and but they were needed in the grocery stores where we were having a shortage. And so we actually, our team did an amazing job to shift to selling eggs in, you know, one dozen large cartons to 30-pack medium trays. And that's partially also because we ran out of egg cartons in North America, believe it or not. And so, you know, we saw this retail demand spike and, and we shifted into medium from large. I mentioned egg whites. Uh, pre-1997, there really wasn't an egg white available. And we actually were breaking eggs and selling yolks to uh, companies to make mayonnaise. And we had surplus egg whites. So it's an, an example of how we're taking something, a byproduct of production and finding a market for it and using everything that that the chicken offers. There's other byproducts uh, from production. If you think about it, when we break eggs, you get eggshells. And uh, we've put a real push on to divert these from, from landfill. And now they, they go to animal feed primarily and also to be composted. But uh, we've also sold them to make coffee. Uh, we partnered with a coffee brand called Black Star Cowboy Coffee. And it's a thing cowboys have always done where they put eggshells in with their coffee to help neutralize the bitterness or the acidity in the coffee. And they make their coffee with these with these eggshells combined. So we're trying to address all the byproducts of egg production. That's great. So really just taking a look at something that may in one context appear to be waste, but it has a new life and a different purpose in another context. So really great example on the production side, the processing side of your egg business to really reuse and repurpose and reinvent and not let anything go to waste. So so we have talked about land, air, water use on egg farms and innovations in processing and distribution. So but let's take a bit of a different turn now and focus on households. What can individuals do to contribute to a circular economy in their own homes? It's a great question. You've got the egg carton and you've got the eggshells because you're consuming the eggs. So do everything you can to make sure that that egg carton makes it into the recycle bin. If, if there's a label, if it's plastic pack, uh, the labels on uh, most of them can pull off easily. If you separate the label from the plastic, it makes it more recyclable. Um, you can use these egg cartons to do crafts. There's all kinds of great egg carton craft ideas on our website for our fiber packaging. If you can compost, those fiber cartons can also go into the compost bin if for some reason you can't recycle it. And another interesting tip would be to take your eggshells and combine them with your coffee grinds and you can put them on your garden. Like, you know, a little, every little difference matters. And, and those are some things that you can do to help contribute to the circular economy in your own home. 
I think that really, really great tips. So these are wonderful things to do and really great ideas for how households can start to develop and think about their own circular economy at home. So we've talked about the circular economy in the egg industry and just a little bit now about in the family home and their very important steps, the the net gain of these things happening in, in the baby steps in which they occur is really, really important and they each warrant their own strategies. We're always thinking, though, about a global system, and the United Nations has developed 17 goals for sustainable development. And how does Burn Brave Farms use and contribute to the global sustainability goals? We're definitely aware of the United Nations sustainable development goals, and we're reviewing them. We're in the process of developing our own long-term sustainability goals, and we are trying to line up with the UN SDGs. Um, our areas of focus and initiatives, I think, line up against 13 of the 17 uh, sustainable development goals. And we want our strategy to be informed by these goals and to ignite a long-lasting positive change, adding more value to all of you know our stakeholders, whether that's consumers or government or the land and animals over the long term, and, and definitely be part of creating a more sustainable future for for everyone on the planet, which I think is even more critical as our population continues to grow. Yeah, we need to be definitely thinking about that. And we had uh, Mr. Vimlander Sharan from the United Nations on our second show here on Food for the Future. And what I was struck with speaking to him about is, is that we do find examples in the world from where things are happening. So Burn Bray aligning to the United Nations Goals for Sustainable Development, you don't know what might be looked upon as very helpful to the world in what it is that you're doing. Because innovation and example is observed where it occurs. It's encouraging and exciting, just wonderful work being done, Margaret. And I, I wish I could talk to you a lot longer about this. I see your passion. I see the dedication and commitment as somebody working in management and leadership, what it takes to bring change. And I really admire what you've done at Burn Bray Farms. I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners about the circular economy or Canadian egg farming. Yeah, well, thank you so much for your kind words. We we do try. We always believe that we can do more, but we're working very hard to bring safe, affordable, nutritious eggs to, to Canadians and doing it in a manner that minimizes our impact as much as possible. In general, I think egg farmers are working really hard to minimize the environmental footprint of their operations. Uh, to create a more sustainable egg supply. In the last 50 years, egg production has doubled, while uh, the amount of resources for a dozen eggs has been roughly halved. And this has to do with minimizing waste, more efficient housing, developing more efficient breeds of birds, you know, better understanding of feed requirements and feed conversion, reducing bird mortality, better biosecurity, and a whole bunch of, of other factors. But I just think it's a real testament to our industry. Um, so, you know, people concerned about the environment can be assured that when they're eating eggs, not only are they getting perfect protein, but that the carbon impact is considered low and comparable to, to plant foods. When you consume a burn rate farm egg, you're also supporting a company that's taken a step further by implementing solar energy to further reduce our carbon impact and our overall impact of farming and, and of how our food that we produce, like the impact that it has overall on, on the environment. That's such an important 
thing to add to the conversation, Margaret, because I think, you know, we're talking more and more about food integrity and where things come from. And there's competition in various markets. But I think we have brand loyalty. We like the commercials or we like this or that. But I think it's critical from my point of view. And I know that I have done with every product I consume in my own home is I've looked into the company and where it comes from and do the values of the organization as as you mentioned burnbury's values and your commitment to solar and and much more than solar and it's not just a commitment it's a true investment when you talk of the millions of dollars to get a farm up and that's a lot of eggs you've got to sell so that is a, it is a true commitment and i think that not only listeners but um should be talking about the values of the organization the way things are produced as part of their sustainability dialogues because everything we, we sort of build the world with the dollars we spend as consumers and, and who we flow power to with the, the purchasing that we do. So I think that was a really, really important uh, point. And thank you for making it. And I'm, I'm just so impressed at all that Burnbury is doing. And thank you so much, Margaret, for our conversation today. You've really provided us with a lot of insight and inspiration about the many innovative environmental initiatives at Burnbury Farms. And I'm really encouraged by the example that Burnbury Farms offers of really large scale circular economy in agriculture. And I very, very much appreciate your work. Thank you for having me. I appreciate coming and speaking with you today. <laughs> It was my sincere pleasure, Margaret. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Margaret Hudson, President and CEO of Burnbray Farms. Each week, we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about? Look at the cycle of food in your own home. Are there ways to reduce, reuse, or recycle? Something to do? Visit www.burnbrayfarms.com. Go to their corporate social responsibility page to find out more about Burnbray Farms' commitment to a better tomorrow. Next week on the show, it's City Farming. We'll discuss home growing and revitalizing urban agriculture land. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist, and you've been listening to Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burnbray Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.